Friends, it is that time of year again. Thanksgiving has come and gone. Turkey has been eaten. Stuffing has been stuffed. And our stomachs are probably full until next Thanksgiving. And now Christmas is right around the corner. You know what? The Hallmark Channel has been airing feel-good Christmas movies with the same plot um, ever since before Halloween. <laughs> the local department stores, local grocery stores, and radio stations alike have already begun to play their Christmas playlists. And you may find the constant repetition of songs such as Silent Night or Grandma Got Run, Run Over by a Reindeer as soothing reminders of the reason for the season, or it may annoy you to the point that you wish Christmas was just four weeks earlier so that you didn't have to hear the same music day after day, hour after hour. In the life of the church, we remember that there is the season of Advent, the season that begins next Sunday, where we are supposed to sing hymns about our longing our longing for our Savior's birth, and our faithful vigil as we wait for God's light to shine amidst the darkness. And on Christmas Eve, we acknowledge the end of our wait and give voice to songs such as Away in a Manger, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and many more. And there is a popular Christmas carol that though known by the title, Do You Hear What I Hear?, begins with these words. Said the night wind to the little lamb, Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb, Do you see what I see? A star, a star, Dancing in the night, With a tail as big as a kite. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? In our Gospel reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus nearing the end of a long day of preaching and teaching in the temple. He had just spent hours engaging and debating with a plethora of people who tried to outsmart Him and trap Him in His own words. But Jesus brilliantly escaped the, the traps and in turn outsmarted the people instead. He dazzled the crowds and his own disciples with both his wit and truth-telling. Near the end of the day, Jesus denounces the scribes who were important people in that day. He warns his audience, his disciples, to watch out for the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. The scribes in Jesus' day had positioned themselves to be important figures in society, figures to be trusted. Yet Jesus Christ accuses them of devouring the houses of widows. Widows in first century society were some of the most vulnerable. They had virtually no rights. And it's also important to note that houses 
refers to more than just physical homes. It may be more fitting to say estate or household. And the scribes, who were more like lawyers, might have cheated a widow out of part of the estate when the woman sought legal advice upon the death of her spouse. Perhaps the, the lawyer squandered the part, of the, the part of the estate the widow entrusted to him. Or the scribe may have taken money in exchange for long prayers on the widow's behalf. Whatever the reason, Jesus charges the scribes with taking away the very livelihood of one of the most vulnerable members of first century society. After teaching his disciples in the crowd all this, Jesus decides to take a break. He's had a long day, so who can fault him for wanting to sit down for just a moment? So he sits down opposite the treasury and watches. But Jesus didn't people watch merely to entertain himself and or to kill time after putting in a long day. Instead, he focused his attention on those who were putting money into the temple treasury. Now, it's unclear exactly what Mark is describing with the word treasury, but it is likely to be one of 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles in the temple forecourt used to collect the free will offerings. And as they tossed in their offering, the person was expected to say aloud the amount and purpose of the gift in order to be heard by the priest. Now, it would have been quite impressive to witness people in fine clothes tossing in large sums of money, calling out to all how much they gave. And we saw that just a few moments ago in our children's sermon this morning. Yet when Jesus turned his gaze to that place, who did he see? He saw a woman, a poor woman, a poor woman who is also a widow, a widow who is among the lowest of the lows, invisible to everyone around her, invisible to the wealthy who were tossing in their spare change. Invisible to the crowds who had just listened to and delighted in Jesus' teachings. Invisible to Jesus' own disciples who had wandered off, who Jesus had to call over saying, Look, look there, do you see what I see? It would have been very easy to not see this widow. In a room full of rich bigwigs, dropping lots of coins in and boasting about how much they're giving, the clink of two small copper coins from a poor widow could have and probably would have easily gone unnoticed. Yet in an act that is so like Jesus, Jesus notices her and calls attention to this act of faith. It's no accident that Jesus singles out the widow, and pointed her out to those who had been ignoring her. For widows held a special place in the kingdom of God, because though becoming and being a widow did not automatically mean that they would become impoverished, it did certainly increase the likelihood of that fate. A woman without a male protector could be forced into debt more easily by the legal and economic system of the day. 
And remember, just mere moments before sitting down to watch the action at the treasury, Jesus had just denounced the scribes who devoured widows' houses. And in doing so, Jesus was describing the reality of that day and that time. Understanding the social context of this poor widow can give us a different entrance into this story, into our text for this morning. Typically, we're taught that the widow is an outstanding model of sacrificial giving, and many preachers will make this into a stewardship sermon on how we should use this woman, this poor widow, as an example on how we ourselves give to the church. But I am not one of those preachers. Because here's the catch. Jesus didn't praise the woman or her offering. Jesus doesn't claim that we should all follow her her example of giving. He doesn't use her offering to deliver a sermon on the virtues of tithing and of stewardship. And he doesn't deliver a lecture on the merits of supporting our church operating budget. And instead, Jesus notices her and comments on her participation in a society that had turned its eyes away from her and from her struggles. A society that had devoured houses of people just like her. He tells his disciples, Truly, I tell you, This poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Sprinkled throughout the Bible, there are scores of references to widows. And in many of those references, we find God either one, commanding God's people to care for widows, or two, castigating God's people for failure to enact both justice and compassion on behalf of widows. It's also important to bear in mind that God keeps a watchful eye not only on widows. In most of the verses in Scripture that reference widows, two other categories of people are usually mentioned, orphans and strangers or aliens. Exodus 22, verse 22 reads, You shall not abuse any widow or orphan, for if you do, as verse 24 says, God's wrath will burn and God will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children orphans. And Deuteronomy 24, verse 21 says, When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And a few chapters later, in 27, verse 19, Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, and the widow of justice. Do you see what I see? There is a special place in God's line of sight for those whose economic and political power is slim to none. We see that time and time again throughout the Gospels when we see Jesus Christ caring for the poor and healing the sick. 
And this week I challenge you to look throughout the Gospels. And many times you might see Jesus focusing his attention on people who are on the margins of society. Friends, it is not always easy, and frankly, it can be quite uncomfortable to see what God sees. Oftentimes, we do not want to see what God sees. We do not want to see families separated from their children, consequently making the children orphans. We do not want to see people with cardboard signs on the streets as we make our way to the grocery store or to the high school or college football game. We do not want to see the woman who can't make ends meet after her husband or spouse has passed away. We do not want to see migrants or asylum seekers coming to us just hoping for a better life. For when we do open our eyes to the suffering of others, we are forced to come face to face with our own selfishness and our own complicity in systems that maintain our comfort while keeping widows, orphans, and strangers in their place, out of sight and out of mind. We want to remain comfortable We do not want to be uncomfortable. Leslie Scanlon, a reporter for the Presbyterian Outlook magazine, recently went to the border between Mexico and the United States to see firsthand what is happening to migrants and asylum seekers there. Her stories reveal both heartbreaking suffering and heartening acts of compassion. Reporting from the La Posada Providencia shelter, Scanlon interviewed the executive director, Andy Atkinson. She quotes Atkinson, saying that an asylum seeker is, began, quote, someone who had to leave their country, but didn't want to leave their country. Kind of like Mary and Joseph. Atkinson continues in saying, it's kind of amazing how many Americans don't want to let immigrants in anymore, especially if those immigrants are poor and people of color. It's amazing how many Christians don't want to let immigrants in, even though the gospel mandates you are supposed to treat the foreign-born the same as the natives. So many Christians have forgotten some basic things about the Bible. End quote. However difficult it may be when we try to see what God sees, we cannot ignore the call of Christ Jesus when he calls us over to sit with him for just a moment and a watch. Friends, as you go out to do God's work in the world this week, take a moment and watch. Take a moment and watch who participates in the life of our churches of our communities, of our schools, of our politics, and of our economies. And then look into those dark corners of the world, those dark, shadowy corners we'd rather not look into. And look into them for the people who may be in need of food, of clothing, of shelter, of decent wages to pay the bills, of a helping hand, or maybe just simply a friend. Maybe it's the man on the street communicating with only a cardboard sign. 
Maybe it's the school bus driver or the bagger at the local Publix. Maybe it's a classmate of yours in school or the custodian at a local business. Maybe it's someone we thought we knew really well. See these people and then don't simply watch and observe them. Help them. After we've opened our eyes, call friends and or family to open their eyes as well. Go and talk with those who are hidden in plain sight. Ask them about their lives and ask them how might we as a church be able to partner with them to create hope and new life wherever there is suffering. Demonstrate that God's way is not an oppressive way, but the way of justice. Show them that God is love, for we are both called and commanded by God to love our neighbor as ourselves. Two short days before he was arrested and crucified, and at a time when he could have easily been drawing his own attention inward to ponder his own fate, Christ Jesus took a break and sat in the temple and watched. Jesus invited his disciples to sit and watch with him, to acknowledge one woman, one widow, one widow who would have been looked down upon by society and was otherwise lost in the crowd, who put in more than everyone else, who put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Do you see what I see? God became manifest in Christ Jesus to not only offer us eternal life, but to also bring to our attention those widows, orphans, and strangers who are otherwise invisible. God walked among us to help us direct our attention toward those who may not have a great deal to celebrate in this holiday season. And God not only placed a wondrous star in the sky vanquishing the gloom of night to guide us to the manger, God placed a light in our hearts and our minds so that we might learn to see through the eyes of Christ. Do you see what I see? Let us pray. Loving God, we know that in every generation you call forth prophets to proclaim your word. We give you thanks that you are still speaking to us even today. Your spirit inspires the young to see visions of a new creation and elders to dream of a time not yet known. Yet we confess that we fail to hear your voice when it comes from an unexpected place, calling us to sit and watch. We confess that often we do not see, nor do we want to see what you see. We confess that oftentimes we choose to ignore the people that you call us to love, the people who would otherwise be invisible. Forgive us, God. Restore us with humility and awaken us anew to your presence and your promise. In Christ's name we pray, and together all God's children said, Amen.